Welcome to the Rider Ninja Podcast with your host, Joe Scott Coe. This podcast is where we talk about arts, language, culture, education, and the writing life. Join as we separate the crazy from your life and sort out what's encouraging from what's discouraging, what's safe from what's unsafe, what feeds you from what drains you. Remember, the goal is not just to get through, but to get forward. And now, your host, Joe Scott Coe. Time for Forward Thinking. Today on Forward Thinking, I want to talk about not having the words. When I was a kid growing up, I remember that a certain kind of joke used to bug me. We were a Catholic family, and occasionally I would hear people, and sometimes they were Catholic and sometimes they were not, making jokes about big families, like didn't they know about birth control or don't they know how to control themselves or whatever. So I didn't like that idea because the idea that a family couldn't choose to embrace a bunch of children um, seemed to me not, aside from not being very kind, it didn't seem to be very humanist. It didn't seem to really recognize or respect the possibility that people might have room in their lives and in their hearts for lots of kids. So I didn't understand that. Another thing that I remember growing up was that there were a lot of questions asked, sometimes out loud, sometimes silently, sometimes there were no questions, but there were explanations offered about couples that we knew uh, as a family who didn't have children, sometimes inside the family and sometimes out. I never would have expected if someone had asked me 30 years ago if I would be happily married and not have children and be 42 years old that I would say yes. And so I'm intrigued by this question about is it possible to be happily married and have no kids and not have a problem with that. There's been lots of coverage in magazines like Atlantic lately, and I think there's been a piece recently in New York about the new face of feminism that engages all kinds of questions about the options women are exercising in the last 10, 15 years, including increasingly delayed marriage, certainly delayed children in childbearing or adoption, And what's interesting to me is that somehow women have to account for this reproductive behavior, these different types of choices, in a way that men don't seem to have to. There are two words that we have in English to describe a woman without children if she's married. She's childless, as if she's lacking something, or she's child-free, as if you're having a constant party. And if you Google Google these words online or if you search them uh, in any kind of database, you'll find that there is a lot of discussion about groups trying to form, couples specifically trying to form groups that celebrate uh, not having children as as the child-free state. And then um, occasionally you'll have people who are dealing with this question of childlessness, usually women, um, and talking about it not necessarily as something to celebrate, but maybe as a matter of fact. At a certain point, for someone like me, for many different types of reasons, ending up not having children is simply a matter of fact. Uh, And it would be nice not to need to feel the pressure to have to explain that, to have to uh, 
um, make other people comfortable by explaining that, no, I'm not suffering from a terrible disease, and no, uh, I'm not necessarily selfish, and let me prove to you in what ways I'm selfless enough to be able to make this choice. Um, because the fact is that it isn't always just a matter of one choice, it's about a bunch of other things, and things happen, and so there you are. Any parent can tell you that that's true as well. What's interesting to me is that, ironically, in my Catholic tradition, one of the things I remember, even though I would consider myself kind of a jack Catholic, a secular Catholic now, um, stray Catholic, if you will, one of the things that stuck with me was that there were lots of images and lots of respected women in the Catholic tradition who have kids and who don't, mothers and the others. And despite the strange and consistent theology that we could certainly go through and deconstruct, those images, the presence of those images um, has really stuck with me and impressed me as a kid. You have someone like St. Monica who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for the conversion of her son, uh, St. Augustine. You have someone who was a wealthy woman, a woman of, of, um, of royal status, St. Helen, part of my namesake. Uh, who was, you know, important in her own right and then um, was also a mother. Uh, but you have a doctor of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, who's one of my favorite saints, um, who's recognized for her own writing and her mysticism. And, of course, you have someone like Joan of Arc, um, who was martyred and then eventually sainted. But what did she do? She decided to take on an army. And so, so there's room in the tradition for all of these. Um, I guess what my question is, and this is something that I'd like you to come to joescottco.com and tell me about, um, email me. You can email me your own kind of experiences of these terms, uh, whether you have children or not, whether you're married or not, whether you're gay or straight. I, I'm, I'm actually just interested in your perception of these terms. But I'm also very curious. If you come to joescottco.com, that's J-O-S-C-O-T-T-C-O-E.com, do you think that there's room in our language for another word? Language evolves all the time, and sometimes the connotations of words end up creating uh, a need for, for other things. And I'm, I'm curious if there's another word, if there's a single word that we have that could be used to um, celebrate or to just recognize the reality of it. Again, I don't really necessarily identify with either of these words, childless, as if I'm supposed to be sitting in a corner somewhere and, you know, lamenting my lot in life, or child-free, as if my life is this constant, you know, celebration of there's no kids around, because, of course, uh, kids are part of society. I work with young people all the time, uh, and I feel a sense of social responsibility as much as I can, and, and I, I love my nieces and nephews and so on. So... It just seems, it seems like a strange binary to me, and neither of those terms fits for me. So if you could come to joescottco.com, if you could uh, send me a note, send me an email, I'd really be interested in your thoughts on this topic. Uh, and again, if you have a proposed term, that would be interesting. Or if you think both of these terms or either of these terms is, is suitable, I'd be very curious about it. Again, um, I'm not really looking for a revolution here. It just seems like uh, there's not a lot of room. And I'm just curious what you think. So come to joescottco.com and we'll continue the conversation there. Now let's tune in to Ninja Chat. In my book, Teacher at Point Blank, I do a lot of thinking about the connection between teaching and parenting. There's not a one-to-one -one correspondence, not exactly, but particularly for women who teach, women 
working with other people's children, other people's kids, trying to help them learn. There's some interesting correspondence in the expectations historically for mothers and the expectations that we project on to teachers. So one of the most exciting invitations I've had in the last few months was to speak and listen at a group called Thinking Moms in Riverside, California. Thinking Moms was founded by a woman who's also a mother named Lindsay Franzen. She is a local, regional activist and thinker and businesswoman. And I had the pleasure after I spoke with the group of being able to sit down and talk with her about why she started the group and what it meant to her both as a woman and as a mother and as a person. So give a listen. Okay, so um, tell us about how you became a mom. <laughs> well, um, and I what does thinking have to do with it? <laughs> thinking, thinking mothers. Well, I, um, I have been a mother now for seven years. Um, I have three children, uh, seven, four, and two mm. ages. And um, my oldest is a girl. I have two younger boys, and I have a very special relationship with my daughter, who I, um, I want to raise as a strong, independent young woman. And we had a, an interesting conversation one day when she was asking me about um, my journey, really. She was asking me about um, what I decided to do and why I decided to marry Daddy and, um, and should she get married when she was done with college. And I said, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. Getting married right out of college is not what I did. And, I, and she had a misinterpretation of, of the facts. Wow. And so, yeah, so I, um, I had to sit down with her and, and talk to her about um, my decision to finish school. I finished school in three years. Um, I graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's in political science, which was my passion. And, um, and following that, I decided to move to Washington, D.C. to work in federal government. Um, and so I had a career in federal government um, in the United States House of Representatives mm -hmm. and then in the White House um, before I became pregnant with Sally. And it was really fun to talk to her about that and to kind of share that information with her and, and to show her and give her an example of uh, the fact that, you know, she could do and be anything she wants to do and be. And she can follow her own path and she doesn't have to get married if she doesn't want to get married mm -hmm. and she doesn't you know, have to get married young or old. And, and, and um, it was interesting to hear her have these um, preconceived notions about what she thought I did. Right. So this all spawned this, uh, the idea that I really wasn't being the good example to her that I wanted to be, that she didn't know enough about me um, and about my, my passion for public service. And so I decided to start a group called Thinking Moms. So, so explain... Um... What the, what the name means, because I think a lot of people and a lot of women would be like, well, what does that say if you have, you know, when you have to create a group, it's thinking moms, because most moms are thinking and they, they know they're thinking. So explain what you're responding to by it's true. starting that. Yeah, and it's a little bit disturbing that we have to say <laughs> thinking moms. Yeah. Um, but I think that we forget <laughs> that mothers have um, so many other talents besides child care. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and we sometimes get, as mothers, we get sucked into this vortex of, of caring for others and not really developing ourselves. 
And so the idea behind it was to create an organization where moms could come together on a monthly basis and spend time together talking about issues of importance, talking about things that, um, that we didn't have a chance to do with our young children during the day. And um, it's also an opportunity for us to use our good, our good thoughts and our positive uh, energy from those conversations and go into our communities and do good service, to do uh, community service, volunteerism, etc. And in, in that way, we're, we're not only offering ourselves the opportunity to um, come together and have a, a really unique um, experience being mothers and, and, and being women and, and outside of the home, but we're also showing our daughters and sons that we're capable of, of more than just what we do during the day, either at work or working in the home. Um, but we're also capable of serving our community, and, and so that was the that was the whole premise. So, how long has Thinking Moms been Thinking Mothers or Thinking Moms? It's Thinking Moms. Thinking Moms. So, mm-hmm. how long has it been around, and and who's involved, and how do you guys meet, and and what happens? Well, the idea came about to me um, a year ago in January, uh, two thousand ten, mm-hmm. um, and so the group started. Uh, I sent an email in February, and and our first meeting was in March of two thousand ten. Um, and so, uh, since then we started actually that, that first meeting, we had 12 members Mm -hmm. and it's grown to over 65 members at this point. And so, um, the interest continues. We have new mothers at every meeting and, um, and I think, uh, one of the great things about this group is that it's very flexible and moms have to be flexible. Sometimes our schedules are heavier and sometimes they're lighter and depending on the time of year and the school and, and what's going on. So we have a flux. Sometimes we have 30 women at the group and sometimes we have 10. Um, but we're, you know, there's no commitment. There's no major responsibility where you have, you feel more guilt if you don't go. <laughs> right, right. Guilt is a big thing with moms. Right, right. So we want to make sure that nobody feels like they have to, but that they really want to come when they, when they need to. And it's a place they're welcome. Absolutely. They, right. So do you guys have a website? We or, do. Okay. It's www.thinkingmoms.org. Um, and uh, we also, on our website, share the articles that we share during the month that we talk about, news articles, things from everything from a, a TED video to uh, a Newsweek piece or something from the Times. And so it's a great way to kind of catch up on what's going on in our group. If you're interested in checking out those articles, they're free for everybody to read. And is the schedule there also? The schedule is there also. Uh-huh. If you're in the area, you know, absolutely come on by. Um, we, we welcome mothers and and. Our group is so diverse. We have young moms or um, older moms, but moms of really young children. We have moms who uh, have kids who are starting their first year in college. Um, so we, we're diverse um, ethnically uh, and by faith, and, and um, all different kinds of types of people are welcome. So it's really fun that way. That, that Actually, I like that because it gives us much more interesting discussions. If we were all homogenous and everybody thought the same, it wouldn't be a really... There wouldn't be a lot of thinking in thinking moms. <laughs> so, so finally, um, can you describe a little bit about um, what your kids have noticed about you going to these meetings or conversations <laughs> that you've had? Since? Yeah, it's been interesting, and um, and they appreciate it. They like that mom goes out and does these things, and um, and we've had events at our house where they're kind of able to be the little mouse in the corner and, and look in on these um, you know amazing, intelligent women talking about substantive issues 
And, um, and so my, my children know that I'm going to go to the meetings and they expect it and they love it. And I, and um, hopefully this will carry on so that they'll be able to do something like this someday. That's great. Thank you. You're welcome. So as you can hear there, what's really interesting is that the sense that there's a need for this space for women to be both nurturers and people who can raise and care for children, give birth or adopt, um, be of different political persuasions and have a safe place to get together, to think, to disagree, to share information, to share reading, that the fact that there's a need for that speaks to something quite interesting. So Lindsay and I went on and discussed a little bit more about how this might fit into a historical perspective, um, women's history, uh, history of mothering, history of feminism, you could say. Um, and it's quite interesting what she said. So give a listen. We'll give her the last word. Okay. So, so let's talk a little bit about this kind of weirdness that sometimes exists between women who don't have children and women who do. How would you explain what that's about? Well, I think that, first of all, I think that the women who came before us in feminism worked really, really hard to ensure that we were capable of doing whatever we wanted to do as right. women. And so, you know, part of the, the issue that I have with, um, with the judgment is that we're just bringing ourselves down when, as women, we're judging other women on the decisions that they make and what they, what they decide to do with their lives and with their bodies. And so, um, you know, we experience that very same thing in Thinking Moms with women who are working mothers and women who are non-working right, mothers exactly. or working in the home rather because they're working too. Right. So, um, you know, I think that there are all different ways to be divisive and there are ways that we can split each other up into categories and labels. And um, I think that in the end, it only uh, it's, it's detrimental to us as, as women and, uh, and it hurts us and it hurts the decisions that our children are capable of making also. Yeah. And it seems to spill over, too, even in judgments about how your pregnancy is supposed to go mm -hmm. or how your mothering is supposed to go. Mm -hmm. So, Or if you're not straight, if you're a gay person, right. should you or shouldn't you parent and all these kinds of questions that mm -hmm. just keep everybody kind of running in a circle instead of just connecting and thinking about right. what's meaningful. And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we all need different types of people and we all need to be able to learn from other people's experiences. And um, as a mother, I don't judge any other mother for deciding or any other woman for deciding you know, not to have children or not to get married. Likewise, I don't, I don't judge mothers for nursing or non-nursing. Right. I think, um, you know, you have to do what's best for you in this life and, um, and you have to, um, make it work for you and, and, and synthesize, you know, what love is for you, whether that's having children or not. Do you think that the, um, that, you know, having a group like Thinking Moms is in a way trying to, is there any generational, stand that you feel like you're taking because you know the, the first couple of waves of feminism were very much about thinking and participating mm -hmm. in activism and mm -hmm. and then we've kind of almost had a, a second kind of wave of what Betty Friedan was writing about with feminine mystique you know it's like That's this true. reaction to some myths and women kind of feeling like okay I have to be the mm -hmm. um, real house mom of Orange County kind of thing so there's <laughs> right. a class issue and then there's um, 
a certain way to be a mother and certain things, equipment you're supposed to buy and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So um, do you see that? Have you thought about it that way? A little bit. I just, I I really feel that that the first few waves of feminism have brought us to a point where we're capable of making those decisions. And so thinking moms is really, um, it's it's a repercussion of the fact that we are able to make those decisions in the first place. Right. So I I think it's a beautiful thing. And and, um, I, I don't know if it ever really, if it was ever you know, in the forefront of my brain, you know, but I, I know that, um, I'm thankful for the fact that we're capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. We're capable of having a group like thinking moms and that it's so popular. You know, the idea of it is, is so, um, needed and, yeah. and so exciting to so many women. Yeah. It's, well, it suggests a, a hunger for feeling safe doing that, mm-hmm. which is interesting mm-hmm. too. And as women, we're, you know, as mothers, we don't want to just always have mother groups about diapers and about bottle feeding and baby carriers, you know, we need something more than that. So this affords us that opportunity. Inspirations, tricks, and methods of escape. Before I go today, I want to connect this idea about not having the words to mothers and the others. When I started off today, I was asking about if there was any kind of space between the idea of a mature woman's identity as mother and then if she's not a mother, what words do we have for her? We have childlessness, we have child-free, and it just doesn't quite seem to fit all of the possible roles and all the possible definitions. And um, But to keep the focus, again, on trying not to divide, but to unite women's interests as being um, common, having a lot in common, and our concerns, um, not necessarily just politically, but also in just thinking about health and about who we want to be and how we can contribute to society. I wanted to talk about a couple of books here. And again, these are, these are people who are kind of renegade on the subject of mothering and also on the subject of not mothering. And I, I thought they were really worth pointing out. Um, Naomi Wolf, who gets in lots of trouble whenever she writes a book, wrote a really interesting and at times disturbing book that I found interesting called Misconceptions, Truth, Lies, and the Unexpected on the Journey to Motherhood. It's definitely the not what to expect when you're expecting book. Um, and uh, again, it's, it's interesting more as a political um, testament about what it's like, how uh, mothers are marketed to, particularly when they're having a first child and how they are and are not supposed to have a baby. I think it's a very interesting um, book thinking about that. There's a great book that's also been out now for about eight years, I think, here. It's The Mommy Myth by Susan Douglas and Meredith Michaels. And they really go into the idea about the idealization of motherhood and how it undermines women. Again, notice the focus is, again, on there's a certain way you're supposed to be, and if you're not that way, then there's a problem. Um, I'm really delighted to have found this really cool anthology uh, by women who didn't have children for whatever reason, whether it is out of a sadness, they, they, they feel that they lost that opportunity, or whether they deliberately chose it, or they found themselves in that state. It's a great anthology called Bearing Life. So there's the renegade part, right? Wait a minute, you don't have children, what could you possibly offer? And it's just a collection of short essays uh, edited by Rochelle Ratner uh, on women's writings on childlessness. So there was a, a deliberate use of that word childlessness, but the title Bearing Life offers a different twist on it. 
There's another book that I'd like to recommend by Madeline Kane called The Childless Revolution. And what's fabulous about that book and about Kane's study is she found and she really went in to investigate the different types of reasons why women end up not mothering or choosing not to mother or finding themselves not being mothers. It's quite thoughtful. It's a very quick read. Um, but again, it avoids this kind of um, bl these blanket categories and these strange kind of judgments that creep into the language. The last site, uh, this is actually a website I'd like to recommend, and I'll put a link to this, um, and I'll also put the titles and links to books um, that I've mentioned on joescottco.com. But the last site I'd like to uh, mention is a site called SavvyAunty.com, the first community for cool aunts, great aunts, godmothers, and all women who love kids. Of course, you could be a mother and be interested in this site, so it's not, again, it's it's not about... Uh, whether you have children or not. But it's kind of fun because, again, it's looking at that role. It's looking at the ant role um, and how you can play an active role. I think the site is a little bit on the materialistic side, but it's positive. And um, I like the focus on savviness, which suggests um, that you're using your brain. Uh, and I think that that's really, really cool. So if you come to joescottco.com, again, uh, j-o-s-c-o-t-t.coe.com, that's J-O-S-C-O-T-T-C-O-E dot com, excuse me. Um, and uh, check out some of the links that we put there. Let us know what you think. And I got to say, you know, what's really sad about this whole, this whole conversation is that at least the women are having it. I think it's interesting that there isn't often a space for men. In fact, it's uh, quite the opposite. If men are interested in or they care about children, we tend to kind of think what's wrong with the men, what's wrong with them, unless they have their own kids. We think there's something strange or even possibly creepy about that. I don't think you're going to find many sites called Savvy Uncle unless there's something weird about it. That's just not another thing to think about. So, again, visit the website. Uh, check out the links, send us your comments, and uh, we'll catch you again on the Writer Ninja podcast. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Writer Ninja podcast. Visit www.joescottco.com for more information, including this episode's show notes. Send a question, comment, or message through the website and follow Joe on Twitter. Her Twitter handle is at Joe Scott Co. Check out Joe on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash teacher at point blank.